a long way away from here, in, in California, in LA, there's been this thing called a Zusa now. Um, and, and, you know, you can think, well, you know, we're in Glasgow, what the heck has that got to do with us? Well, Azusa now is, is a, was a 100,000 person prayer meeting slash Christian event with the goal of just pulling on the promises God made in the Azusa Street revival of 1906 that there would be another one 100 years later of even more impact. And what happened in Azusa the first time has affected the whole planet, including us. Actually, a lot of what we are enjoying and believing is because that happened. So we are not disconnected. And and in the prayer meeting this morning, I was like, you know, isn't it amazing now how we can watch the the event via satellite and we can can get reports from our friends that are out there through Facebook and, you know, the internet is is incredible. The connection that you can feel to something that's 5,000 miles away. And he just spoke to me, actually, our connection is even greater than that because we're connected to what he's doing there by the Holy Spirit. And and I believe something's being released there that is, is... going to massively affect the planet and it includes us and uh, that's dead exciting be aware of that be aware and and allow your expectations for God to do even more amazing stuff in our city Uh, so we are uh, very privileged to be connected with a load of the people that are involved in that so there's a relational connection as well as a, a spiritual one Okay, I want us just to, to pray because I'm on number three in this series on beliefs and mindsets that change cities and nations. So Heavenly Father, thank you. We're not just here for us. Uh, although you love to bless us and free us and provide and sort us out, we're actually here for a, a very great purpose in the earth. And uh, I pray today that you... Oh, you would just um, rewire our thinking, um, help us to connect to really healthy beliefs and mindsets about who we are and what you've got called us to do, um, and how enormous that is actually, but how possible it is right now. So I, I pray for that. I pray for that that revelation, the spirit of revelation in this room and uh, for every life and every heart. Amen. All right, so this is part three in a potentially eight-part series. So we're not even halfway, guys. Um, And uh, this is talking about, today we're going to talk about knowing the era that you're in. Uh, It's very important to know the era that you're in. And, And I think a great deal of of the difficulty Christianity has had, particularly in the West, uh, is that it doesn't know what era it's in. It's a blend of Old Testament and New Testament and not a complete freedom from the Old Covenant. There's a reason why it's called an Old Covenant and a New Covenant is because the Old is old and the New is new. And the New replaces the Old. It's a, it, it, I mean, if you can only remember one thing today, that is a really good thing to remember. Um, so the new replaces the old. Uh, when Jesus came, lived a perfect life, full of miracles, displayed the heart of the Father on the planet, died a horrible death, and rose again victoriously on the third day, he changed everything for everybody forever. He changed everything for everybody forever. And 
I, I feel that God is raising the stakes. He is reminding his church of the huge impact and the great thing that Jesus did on the cross. And actually, some of our beliefs and behaviors and mindsets actually devalued the victory. We've re-empowered a disempowered devil. We've believed in laws that we no longer need. We've believed that God's needed things that he's already provided in Christ. We've believed all kinds of convoluted religious ideas that have actually entangled us and not enabled us to be a place where God can show up and change a nation. So we've been on this series, and one of the things I've been trying to establish is that Jesus called his disciples, which includes us, he gave them a call to change and disciple nations, not just individuals. So I'm not undermining, or we need to disciple individuals in order to disciple nations. But the target is the reformation of nations is that nations reflect the teaching of Jesus. Because he goes on to say that, instruct them in everything that I have commanded you. Yeah. So he's actually saying everything that Jesus released to his disciples, it's possible to put that into a nation and transform it culturally, atmospherically, politically, because actually the kingdom of God stuff that Jesus released can actually mean a nation is discipled. And, and there have been various movements over the years on, on this kind of way, and some people have thought, well, we just, need to get, we just need to get nations to obey the law of God. Actually, no, the thing that's going to change nations is the kingdom of heaven, that, and the kingdom that Jesus released is what we're meant to teach the nations, not Leviticus. He said, teach them everything I have commanded you. Okay, and, and you'll see why that's, that's important in a moment. And, and we've been looking at in the last, the last couple of weeks, that, well, at least a couple of sessions, just at this whole sense that God loves our city and our nation and everybody in it, regardless of their background, their level of horrible sin, depravity, if, even if they're the promoters of depravity, that God not only loves them, but he's actually already got a prepaid card of blessing in their pocket that all it needs is someone like you to activate it. He's not angry at them. He's not cursing them. And actually one of our jobs is to not curse our city, but to bless it because God is releasing blessing and has released blessing on our city, whether it deserves it or not. So it doesn't matter if the person is a sweet primary one teacher or horrific gang member or a pimp, God's released his favor on them all. Some of them just don't know it yet. Yeah? So it's a mindset towards a city that, that we need that joins in with God's mindset towards the city and everybody inside of it. Yeah, but what about people getting what they deserve? Well, that's the point. Did you get what you deserved? So why should you not get what you deserve, but they have to get what they deserve? That's called judgment. And I'd like you to turn with me to a scripture that you know, which is in John 3.16. Some of you should be able to quote John 3.16. Oh, look at that. John 3.16. 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 John 
John, yeah, here we go. God so loved the world. What did he love? He didn't just love you. It's important that he loved you, but let's widen it a bit, nudge the person either side of you like he loved them. Look around the room, he loved all these people in the room, whether you think they're ugly or beautiful, he loves them, okay? And if we could have eyes to see into every room and people doing whatever they're doing, naughty or nice, nasty or beautiful, all around this city, that applies to every single one of them. He loves them, all right? Everywhere he loves them. He loves the murderers, he he loves them. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn, or depends on the translation, condemn or judge the world. This is a new covenant. The old, there's a lot of judgment in the old. The new is Jesus not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Just let that hit you. So when we partner with judgment on our city, we're not partnering with the ministry of Jesus. We're partnering with something else. Well, they should get what they deserve. You know, they're fiddling the books in the council and they're, 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 they're recruiting all these young girls to be prostitutes. That they deserve to be struck down and smite. God should smite them. God, I just pray that you would come and send a destroying angel on all that is evil in our city and, 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 and knock them down with lightning bolts because then we'll have purity. That's not what he came to do. If you're partnering with the lightning bolt theology, you're partnering with something else. Yeah. Okay, could we turn to Matthew, Matthew 11, verse, uh, I think probably about 11. This is a really, really important uh, scripture. Matthew 11. Starting to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's disciples have come to Jesus and said, Hey, uh, uh, are you the one to come? Or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus kind of starts off by saying, Well, look, you know, the dead are being raised, the blind are seeing. The da, 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 da. And then he starts to talk about John. And he says in verse 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty great condemnation coming from Jesus. To this point in history, of all the people born, good old John the Baptist is the best. Yet, he was the least in the kingdom of heaven and is greater than him. John the Baptist's floor, yeah, John the Baptist's ceiling is our floor. Everybody that Jesus brings into the kingdom of heaven after John the Baptist is greater than John the Baptist. And he was the best of the best to that point. That's a shift. John the Baptist was the last, he was ushering in, he was pronouncing a new era is to come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that was his repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He He was closing out the old era and announcing the arrival of a new one. Get ready, because something's coming. And that something is a somebody called Jesus. And Jesus said, 
this guy is amazing. This guy is the greatest. But all of you now who are coming into this kingdom dynamic are all greater than he was. And he was the greatest of the last lot. Just, just say to yourself, very quietly, I'm greater than John the Baptist. Maybe look at someone next to you and say, I'm greater than John the Baptist. You wouldn't realize that, would you? Look at, look at you. You're greater than John the Baptist. This pretty incredible guy. And so John the Baptist is saying was greater than Moses. And, da, da, da. and then he's saying you're greater than all that. This is definitely new. Could we get the next verse, please? <laughs> From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Next verse. And if you're willing to accept it, here's the Elijah who is to come. He has ears to hear. Let him hear. Have you got ears to hear this morning? To what can I compare this generation that we're going to keep going? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and you said he's got a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you said he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by our actions. So the one era was being closed out by this serious dude who dressed in camel hair and ate honey and locusts and he was serious and they thought he was demonized yeah. now Jesus comes he's, he's singing a new song his is, his is like a dancing song yeah. he's a, he's a to, compared to John the Baptist Jesus is a party animal he's a celebrator of life of people alright and this tune they don't these people can't, you can't please either of them, but he's saying the tune of this era is very different to the tune of the last one. Next, next verse, please. And Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Keep going. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they had repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Next one. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Sodom. If you read your Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah had fire rain down from heaven and destroyed and obliterated the whole city because of the horrible sinfulness of the city. That was the Old Covenant. Jesus said, Jesus said if Sodom was still around today and the miracles I have been doing everywhere had been done there, it, it wouldn't have been destroyed. The grace and the blessing I am releasing on the earth right now means even the most sinful cities can remain and not be judged. I'm not here to burn them up. I'm here to bless them up. You remember the story when there's the, you know, the sons of thunder, James and, and John, and, and there's people that are against Jesus, and, and, and they say to him, shall we call down fire on their heads? Yeah. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. But actually in the old covenant, yeah. Elisha had burned up quite a load, loads of people. Yeah, 
Elijah killed with the sword 850 prophets of Baal. And I think it was Elisha, people were coming to arrest him, 50 soldiers at a time. And as they came in groups of 50, he called down fire and they all got fried. Yeah. 150 people got fried alive by the prophet. Yeah. So these disciples, fishermen, etc., they know these stories. And now they're with this new prophet, this Jesus, this guy, they're working out who he is. And there's people opposing them, so they're like, whoa, we know what to do here. We call down fire from heaven on these sort of people. And Jesus said, no, no that's not what we do now. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. He didn't come to fry them. He came to bless them. He didn't come to demolish sin cities. He came to do signs and wonders in them so that they would repent and remain. Is this making sense to anybody? <laughs> See, in the Bible, the, the Bible is structured around something called covenants and there's more than just the old and the new. And every time God makes a covenant with men, there's a shift. That doesn't mean God's changing, but it means that what we experience of him changes. And that's the thing that we get confused by is, well, surely, Andy, God's still a God of judgment. Well, yes, he is. But actually, what we're seeing of him is different now. Yeah. All that's in the Old Testament, the stories, was building up to the new. It was creating a platform for the full revelation of what God is really like. All right? And some of those steps along the way are now no longer needed. So I'll just quickly give you a little bit of Bible history here. You ready? Yeah. Noah. Everybody know about Noah, flood. I mean, the flood is pretty horrendous, isn't it? Yeah. Very sinful planet, and, and just Noah and his children and their wives survive it. Everybody else is drowned by God's flood. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of it, God puts a rainbow in the sky and says, I'm making a covenant with you now. I'm not going to do this again. So the world before Noah and the covenant with Noah was subject to frightening judgment. After Noah, that's not going to happen again. God has actually changed the way he's relating to man because he made a covenant with a man. And then along comes Abraham, who is a friend of God, has a relationship with God. And God said, just to show that you're my friend and that all your children are in the same covenant, I want you to circumcise yourself. There's an ouch right there. All the women are smiling, all the men are wincing. The, the point is, he then, he then promises him, he promises he's going to multiply him, make a nation out of him and give him a land. This is all new. This wasn't in the scene before, but God makes a covenant with a guy called Abraham saying your descendants are going to fill the earth, but also I'm going to make nations out of you and I'm going to give you a land. And by the way, just to, as, a, as a sign on your body that this is all going to happen. That was new. That was a change. And then Moses comes along and now there is a nation because they all go into exile into Egypt and they multiply and then they get out of Egypt and God's taken to the promised land, and there's a new covenant made, which is the covenant of law. So all Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and all the covenant of law that's in there is what God did with Moses, and he made a covenant with the people of God. That was all new. All these things about what to do if your house has got mildew, and you've got to marry your brother's wife if your brother dies, and all that's all new. It's funny we don't do that now. But that's in the law. 
And actually, Paul says, if you are wanting to be a keeper of the law, then you should keep all of it. So you have to knock your house down if it's got mildew, and if your brother dies, you have to marry his wife. If you want to be a law keeper. But that's, that's called the... Just be happy that that's the old covenant, yeah? <laughs> yeah, the wife your brother would pick is not necessarily the wife you would pick um, just saying and then along comes David so remember now there's all these laws and not only there's laws about morality and laws about knocking your house down if it's got mildew and laws about marrying your brother's wife there's also lots of ceremonial laws about killing animals and having worship and, and, and a tent and all this kind of stuff and only one person's allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And then David comes along and figured out that actually in Psalm 40 he says that God doesn't desire sacrifices or burnt offerings. Yeah. But he's told Moses that he does. Yeah. See, God's hard to figure out. He doesn't stay in one spot very long from our point of view. Well, God, you said you wanted them and now you're telling David you don't want them. Well, the point is his target isn't the doing, it's the heart. And so David creates this whole worship thing with the help of the prophets. It says an amazing thing in 2 Chronicles 29 that he stationed the Levites in the, in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres in the way prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through the prophet. So he creates a new set of commandments that Moses didn't have. And this is all about singing and dancing and prophesying in front of the presence of the Lord with no sacrifice of animals at all. Well, God, did you change your mind? No, you just showed more of yourself. Yeah. And then, then this dude, Jesus, shows up. And he says, judgment is off the agenda. And Hebrews tells us that Christ has obtained a, a ministry that is much more excellent than, Moses, than Moses's was, and that the old covenant that, that he mediated is replaced because the new covenant is a better covenant on better promises. And the old is obsolete. The old is obsolete. The old is obsolete. It's no longer in force because at, in his life and his death, Jesus fulfilled all the old. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. And he cut a new covenant in his own flesh and blood on the cross. All other covenants have been made with animals. This was made in the body of the Son of God, Jesus. And he, he, he messed with the old stuff. I mean, I know why they killed him. Because they knew their Bible. Well, they knew their Old Testament. And then he stands up in the Sermon on the Mount. And six times he said, you have heard it said, ba 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 but I say this. And what he's trotting out is laws from Moses, and then he's changing them in front of them all. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, which is in the law. And he says, but I say, he who looks on a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. It's like he's rewriting the book. He's rewriting the book. I mean, and he does this six times. One of the ones I particularly like is, <laughs> he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is in the law. That's what was the deal. We love our neighbors, but all those, all those Philistines and 
we hate them and we're going to kill them all. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not doesn't even touch. It's not even close to being the same. It's a new covenant. It's a new day. This is a singing, dancing covenant. The old was a dirge. The old was sort of sackcloth, ashes and eating honey and, 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 and wild locusts. This is like eating and drinking and meeting with everybody. The old covenant was lightning and fire and that burned people up. This is fire that sets people ablaze but keeps them alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah fire came on their heads in Acts chapter 2, yeah. but it didn't consume them as in they were now ashes. It consumed them in that they were now passionate and filled with Jesus. Yeah. You see, it's old, new. It's a big shift. It's a huge change. Do not live in the old era. Jesus came and when he rose from the dead, he announced and commenced and actualized a whole new way of living. A whole new reality got released to the planet. And the culmination of it is that all of creation will be, re- will be restored to its freedom as the sons of God that get born again through what Jesus did are revealed. He began a new creation and he began it in you. And when you're revealed, the rest of creation will be renewed. So he changed the view on the law. He changed the view on the prophetic. He portrayed God as healer because in Exodus 4.11 it says that God makes some people blind. Jesus said in Luke 4.18 he's come to give sight to the blind. Well, I want a biblical view of healing. You can't do it by getting all the verses on health and healing in all of the Bible and giving them all equal weight. There is a new covenant. And the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. It has more weight. It has replaced what was there before. It's revealing God in his fullest sense. Jesus came to exactly represent God. He is the final and fullest revelation of what God is like. If you don't see it in him, it's not in him. Well, I still think people need to get what they deserve. Well, that's living in the past. That's not partnering with Heavenly Father. That's partnering with, I'm calling down fire so they burn people. This is is a different, back in Elisha's time, that was Holy Spirit. In this time, it's a whole different spirit. If you live in the wrong era, just by quoting a Bible verse doesn't mean you're partnering with the right spirit. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's called a new covenant. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, some people are getting it. Yay, it's a new covenant. <laughs> So I, I, I want to I bring you to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is amazing because he was saturated in the teachings and the doctrines of the old covenant. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the book. He knew it by heart and he knew what it meant. But he had such an encounter or encounters with God because he said he received this message and this ministry by, basically by 
encounters with the power of God, it says in the book of Ephesians, that he reinterpreted the whole thing and came up with some amazing stuff. And I'm going to read you out of the mirror paraphrase translation, just because the emphasis really helps us from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So you're just going to have to listen. One man opened the door to sin. This is a reference to Adam. And sin introduced spiritual death. That's where everybody was until Jesus showed up, including people who were being governed by the old covenant. So Adam and Eve's fall, their agreement with the devil, opened a door for sin and death to affect all mankind forever. They represented us and they did a really bad job. But whether they, people knew it or not, they were all influenced and affected by that action that happened then. <clears throat> so both sin and spiritual death had a global impact. No one escaped its tyranny. But then Jesus came along. And by the obedience of one man... So by the disobedience of one man, death reigned through one man. By the obedience of one man, life has come to all men. That's what it says. So 5.15 says, The only similarity in the comparison between the offense and the gift is that both Adam and Christ represent the masses. Their single action therefore bears global consequence. It's all right? Adam had global consequence Jesus had global consequence one act affected everybody spiritual death introduced by one man's transgression is is far superseded by the grace gift lavished upon mankind in the one man Jesus Christ any thinking any doctrine that says that somehow death and sin is more powerful than grace and life is rooted in the old covenant and is not honoring the incredible victory that Jesus won in his death and resurrection. If you think sin is more powerful than Jesus, you are not thinking correctly. Let's read it again. Spiritual death introduced by one man's transgression is far superseded by the grace gift lavished on mankind by the one man, Jesus Christ. Far superseded, way above and beyond. For God's free gift immeasurably outweighs the transgression. God's free gift immeasurably outweighs the transgression. For if through the transgression the one individual, the mass of mankind, have died, infinitely greater is the generosity with which God's grace and the gift given by his grace, which found expression in the one man, Jesus Christ, has been bestowed on the mass of mankind. What he's saying is, everybody got death because of Adam, now everybody's getting so much more blessing because of Jesus that it makes what you can't even see the death yeah. 
The difference between the two men is further emphasizing that judgment and condemnation followed a single offense, whereas the free gift of acquittal and righteousness follows innumerable sins. <laughs> Finally, spiritual death provided sin its platform and power to reign. Now, grace has taken over sovereignty through righteousness to introduce unthreatened life under the lordship of Jesus Christ over us. I'm going to say that again. Death provided sin its platform and power to reign from. Now, grace, which is what happened at the resurrection, has taken over sovereignty. What's ruling the atmosphere of our planet is the grace of God, not the judgment of God. What's ruling our planet from the resurrection is actually not death and sin, but grace and righteousness. This is important that we believe this for our city as well as for ourselves and our neighbors and friends. I'm not saying they're saved, I'm just saying they're ripe. And everything they need has been released to them and paid for at the death and resurrection of Jesus. They've got their prepaid car in their pocket. They've got blessings sitting on their head. They just need someone to connect them to what God has already paid for. A city that believes death and that, that deserves death and judgment is actually had so much blessing paid for in the resurrection of Jesus that what's going to get released by God is going to overwhelm all the outcomes of sin and problems and death. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Say that with me, please. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Let's say this together. God isn't sending me into the world to judge the world. God isn't sending me into the world to judge the world. <laughs> one man's sin allowed darkness to rule. One man's obedience has released the opposite to all the nations. Light and grace has come. There is now the potential for the unlimited reign of grace on the whole planet overturning darkness everywhere. It doesn't mean there's not darkness present, it just means it's been disempowered and the reign of grace released by Jesus Christ is the ruling principle that kicks out darkness everywhere it's released. Grace has taken sovereignty. In Jesus has initiated an era where everybody gets blessed for free because he paid for it, not because they deserved it. Now you know that as an individual Christian, but I'm just broadening it to say this is true for everybody. You can prophesy them. They can get healed. God can provide their needs. They don't even need to get saved to get blessed by God. It's better if they do. Favor has come to the whole planet. Just as sin and judgment prevailed through Adam to all without them knowing or acting, favor and blessing is available to everyone undeservedly and freely. Is it, are we getting there? And we're dispensers of this. We, we, are, we get to do this. 
and, and I'm running out of time. Uh, when God thinks about Glasgow and Scotland, he is in a good mood. He has a smile on his face when he thinks about our city. It's one of his favorites. And we can have absolute confidence in spreading God's good mood to our whole city. And our city needs to hear that God's in a good mood with it. Not He's there to tick them up, burn them up, or zap them with lightning. Some people just need to hear that. God's in a good mood with you. What, despite everything I've done, yet. Yeah. We are breaking agreements with entrenched views that say things like, oh, it's too dark, it's too sinful, it's too far gone, it deserves judgment, it deserves, you know, the only thing that's going to shift this is let's, let's pray, let's pray for judgment because then people will wake up and sort themselves out. No, no, the thing, the thing that God, God's methodology has changed. His methodology is going to bless them into change, not beat them into it. Darkness only still rules because people agree with it and think it can. We are light. The fruit of our light is that people realize they don't have to live in darkness anymore. And light is the superior principle. I don't know if in your bedroom at night when you turn the light on, if there's a punch-up in the middle of the room between the light that's trying to take over the room and the darkness that's trying to keep the light out. Does that happen in your house every night? Like... It's a dark room. I turn on the light and then in the middle of the room there's darkness going, no, I'm not going to let you make me light. I am darkness. I rule this room. And then there's light going, no, we're light. We're going to punch you up and kick you out, darkness. And there's this tussle like, I'm paying for this electric. Goodness gracious, get on with it. When you turn on light, instantly darkness disappears. No contest because light is a higher principle. Grace is a higher principle. Grace is a higher principle than sowing and reaping. Getting what you don't deserve is a higher principle than getting what you deserve. Oh, let's stand. <coughs> I thought this would take a while. <laughs> God is in a good mood with you, is in a good mood with Glasgow, is in a good mood with Scotland. And he wants us to partner with his favour and his smile. There was, I think it was in the 90s, wasn't it, in Glasgow. The slogan for a while was, Glasgow smiles better. Yes. Let's join in with that. That's a good declaration. Yes. <laughs> Lafana, we, we want to line ourselves up with your view of our city. We want to line ourselves up with the mood and the way your orientation to our city yes. and the people that we meet. We want to line ourselves up with the way you're approaching them, not the way we would have in the past or the way we maybe have lined up with because of wrong thinking. We choose today to agree with you that Glasgow is a great city full of people that you love and that you've already provided blessing for them and your smile is all over this place.
And we agree with that. And as we agree with that, you know what? This city starts to change because we are the home of hope. We are the home of hope for a city. Churches like us are releasing hope all over this city. And it is changing because people are believing that we are the light and God is good.